Let me talk at you. Welcome one and all to Not Just A Guy, the show about struggling storytellers. I'm your host, Not Just A Guy, the guy, Garrett Briones, and and oh man, oh man, do I have a, an episode an episode for all of you, episode 11. I really thought to myself, who who do I who do I want for this one? And this guest showed up almost on on my doorstep. Uh, I I have put I I'm I'm doing things out of order. Usually I introduce the guest first and then I I put them over a little bit. But this is someone who I think in the last year or so I've I've become I've become really good friends with. I like I like to think so. We'll see what the guest thinks when they get in here. I'm talking about Campbell Russell Troutman, talent coordinator, writer, artist man who does many things campbell welcome to the show my friend thank you for having me i'm so grateful to be here i appreciate the intro i the last year and a half i thought we were friends for longer but that's fine um yeah well that's what i want to get into is the funniest thing is like i knew of you like i feel like there is no singular person uh, that went to our college formerly known as columbia college hollywood I feel like there is no singular person that I heard more about that I never think I don't think I ever interacted with you one time on campus, but I heard about you so many, so many times. I don't know if it was the same for you on the other end, but I heard about you all the time. We interacted one time, mm-hmm. not a memorable time at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I remembered you is because Chris wouldn't stop talking about you about because he said you were very awesome. Um and you were sitting at a table in the middle of like the uh, I don't know what the place was called, basically where everyone would eat, kind of oh, like, like the, the common, yeah, the common area. Um, yeah. And I think we may or may not have been pressuring you into talking to a woman, and I can't remember who. Oh my lord! I know. I think I know exactly. Uh, I I've almost put that out of my mind. Um, oh <laughs> uh, yeah okay <laughs> i remember that oh so very well that that is a night um that is an infamous night or i did something a little out of character in that common area um oh man i'm i didn't I, I did not stay for like the aftermath so honestly i'm about as blind to this as the audience you can tell me after the podcast <laughs> if i remember if this is the night i'm thinking of uh not to say that i was uh I don't think I've ever been a, uh, a a big wooer of the ladies, but if this is the night I'm thinking of, then uh, then I believe Emily also was uh, was present for this night. She happened to uh, be in the near area. The, um, I had uh, I had not thought about that. <laughs> I, for, I forgot about that. That was uh... anywho. Moving on, uh, but yes, I I yeah, I, you know Chris Hall, uh, future guest. Uh, he I would always hear him speak about you, speak very highly of you. Uh, and maybe you know, and spoke highly of me. Uh, okay, maybe I was fibbing a little bit. You I know, I'm not... Chris Hall spoke highly of me. <laughs> That's I uh, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I, I, it, I to be fair, actually, uh, my roommate at the time, Jack, uh, he did speak highly of you. He was the main. I would always hear about this Bellin and Campbell. And I was like, well, let's so uh, being the jealous man I was, I guess I was like. Well, who's who's this, who's this Campbell guy? Who, who's this Campbell guy? Um, and then, yeah, it wasn't really till last year. You know, we we uh, our our paths finally crossed, which is astounding to me. But it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a year ever since. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I think um, I think uh, Dungeons and Dragons made us bond more than anything. That oh <laughs> yeah. 
Um, because I think, because uh, Chris spoke highly of you and a lot of other people did. I think you have a reaction that most people did where it's like, it was either one or two things of me in the school at CCH. And this isn't me like, um, this isn't me like bragging about being some kind of weird, mysterious fellow. It was really just because I was antisocial and a shut-in. Mm -hmm. uh, people would either have one reaction to me. It was like, oh yeah, I kind of heard about that guy. Um, and then they would either think of like the actor named Campbell who went to our school mm -hmm. or gotcha. someone else. And they'd be like, oh yeah, that guy. Um, or they would just be like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. I did not interact with a lot of people. unlike Chris, who was known by like most of the school. Yeah. It's very weird. Uh, uh, well, we're gonna. I feel like CCH is gonna come up a few, up a few times. Looking at my notes, I think it's gonna come up a, a handful of times. But I, I think that's the interesting thing about going to a school that small. Was like, it was weird because you would think with a smaller school there wouldn't be so many interpretations of of a singular person. But like, I know some people thought I was like a jock, even though I was like, I never played a single organized sport. Like, I hadn't played one since I was in like the fourth grade. Um, and then like, yeah, people, then other people would know me from classes where I was just like a nerd or I was just the silent guy or it's, it's very interesting. Uh, maybe it's cause we're all storytellers. Uh, we all came up with these ideas of what each other were. And in reality, if you spent two minutes talking to any of us, you're like, Oh, they're film students, dirty film students. Yeah. I think that fighting that stigma is kind of the hardest thing to do when you graduate. Um, cause it's, uh, the, I mean, we met them. There's a very real breed of people. Even I kind of sometimes with my girlfriend catch myself mm -hmm. having to catch myself being from that guy who's like, this shot, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> the mise-en-scene. Um, yeah, no, literally. Um, Have you ever used mise-en-scene in a sentence unironically? Outside of school, no. Um, okay. I, I've never once like actually, I think used that in a conversation. I think okay. people talked about how important it was. I think for maybe directors, it's important, mm -hmm. but like, I, I think if you're doing anything else, it's something to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, I think that's something for directors because they, they're the ones that actually have to build the set. I, I mean, not, they don't build the set, but you know what I mean? Oh, that's news to me. I, I showed up every day and I built it. You're telling me I've been doing my job wrong? No, I'm just saying, you know, fucking Quentin Tarantino is not out there with the fucking production coordinators and shit fucking hammering in the wood. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to check. I'm going to check the tapes. Uh, so, Campbell, I ask every guest this question. This is the first thing that I ask everyone. This is the show about struggling storytellers. So, Campbell, Russell Troutman, I'm looking right down the barrel of the camera. Are you struggling? Wait, I barrel my camera? I'm looking down the barrel of mine. I want I'm looking as much in your eyes as I can. So I'm looking down the camera and a I'm thousand, asking you a thousand percent struggling a thousand. How so? <laughs> um, care to elaborate? I, I graduated to become a screenwriter and that has not happened at all. Um, okay. I, I like the job that I'm at. I like what I do. But um, yeah, no, I, I think you can't call yourself a screenwriter until you've like actually published something, because at that point, that's just. I, am, am I allowed to swear? That's a weird question. Yes, you can. Yeah, go. It's, yeah, we're past the mark. It's it's a little pretentious to be like, it's a little shitty and kind of pretentious to not have anything published and be like, I'm a screenwriter. You know, yes. like, um, like even if it is like a short film you and your friends made, that feels a little weird to call yourself that. It's kind of like someone calling themselves a poet. I, I think that's, it's a little entitled. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan of people like that. Um, 
but uh yeah still waiting on the dream but you know writing is a little like acting you kind of have to wait for that lucky break so um definitely in that regard struggling um but apart from that i'm doing okay okay see that's what i love to hear uh it's it's uh and i think this is again why we have in, in the time that we have truly fully interacted with one another i think it's why we have i would i yeah, i'm gonna go out on a limb here i'd say we're pretty good friends i i feel like i could i could text you and just have so a far so good i i have no yeah. issues with you yet yeah, you know we're still in the we're still you know we're still feeling each other out uh honeymoon phase <laughs> we're in a honeymoon phase yeah you know uh sometimes you piss me off as the dm in our dungeons and dragon game because uh you yeah. have it stacked against me i have a long conspiracy there's a full conspiracy wall right over here but we're not gonna pan the camera you um look i didn't give you the dice those are your dice all right well They're, look you recommended i get real dice and the real dice are crappier i don't than... trust online dice but you're free to switch back whenever you want all right see that's what you want see it's that's all what it's i all want to do, do. <laughs> we're gonna come back to this 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 later this yeah, is, i'll let you follow important. your notes i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm getting okay. off we're, i'm barely looking at them uh i will say and this is no slight to you you have the shortest amount of notes, but that's because, and I, and I will get into this later. You have, you're, uh, and you spoke about this in film school being a mystery online. You're, you're a walking enigma. You are a question mark wrapped in mystery. You have little to no digital footprint online, but I still found stuff. We'll get, we'll get to that. But, uh, you found stuff from Emily. Emily told you. No, actually <laughs> I did ask her uh, a question. I don't think she ever submitted one. Uh, but I did ask, uh, you know, she uh, she did have some input. She looked over the questions I had towards the end for uh, the, the end segment, not just any questions, the questions. Um, but uh, some interesting questions for you. Okay. But uh, I think, uh, what the heck were we talking about? Oh, yeah, you were talking about struggling. I, I think this is why we have uh, have bonded. It's, it's the same thing. I, I, I was even telling you before this. I like the job that I currently have. You know, it keeps the one light on right that's pointed at me and the one over there but um it's not creatively fulfilling and it, it's that same thing where i was emailing um a, a, a past guest and you know i did like you know he had a like one of those electronic signatures in the email so i was like oh crap i need to look at i need to put my electric uh signature there so i look uh, you know like a professional and i did it and it says director writer host and i was like at this point in time, I'm really only the third thing, which it's a kind of, um, I kind of, it, it, it does still sting. You know, we, we go to this place that promises you the keys to the kingdom and you pay thousands of dollars. And it's, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't think there's anything that prepares you for the drop off. Uh, you know, it's just like you graduate and then it's just right. You're right. You're in there. And, yeah, especially um, we think you and I both graduated like during the pandemic, like maybe not oh, 2020, yes. but like I graduated mm -hmm. 2021, which thankfully was a little after, but still mm -hmm. like shit was closed. Um, I worked in a uh, shared office space for a while that was struggling to keep up mm -hmm. because of uh, the pandemic. I met a lot of cool people there. There were a bunch of industry people there. Um, mm -hmm. I made zero connections off of them. Um I got fired from that job too because I was just like not good at it. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that was truly the struggle afterwards was like finding something and like kind of finding an avenue. Mm -hmm. So I uh, former guest Felix Malms, he he kind of brought this up, and it's something I've been asking a lot of um, industry related people. It's uh, we we talked about the idea of making it, and you kind of spoke about 
not being considered like not feeling like you're a screenwriter until you get your script like a script brought to life or sold at least um to you what what does the idea of making it mean what what does that mean to you i think uh like realistically i think making it is kind of like an american dream sort of thing where it's like it doesn't truly exist i i think it's uh it's the same thing with life where it's like uh you'll you'll never truly be enough which is mm-hmm. cynical but i mean that in the best way possible yeah um you will never like i think especially as a writer i don't think you'll ever like make it i mean you know again the unpublished guy is saying this but i mean people will probably say like Alan Sorkin like made it and things like that. And I would agree with that. I think in a way he did, but yeah. you know, you're still going to be struggling. You're still looking for stuff. You're still going to be like, there's still going to be someone better than you. Uh, and I think reality is coming to terms with that or kind of getting crushed under it a little bit by trying to remain relevant and then inevitably kind of becoming a corporate shill. Okay. So it's like okay. you, you either okay. made it by, selling your soul or you know you continue to struggle doing with what you like that from what i have seen it seems to be the only two options i'm sure people who are actually in the industry will tell me no this guy's an idiot um so are you willing to sell out and sell your soul it depends to who um okay it depends for what if it's like a script that i really do not give a shit about and Mm -hmm. i like if this is the key in then yeah totally take it do whatever you want with it but as long as i'm getting paid um okay. but if it's something i really care about then obviously i'm going to be like no i i don't want you to i don't want you to touch that okay i don't look at it as uh, selling out i look at it as buying in so if anyone wants to help me buy in sell out um dm me i don't know on tiktok or something i don't know if anyone wants uh, me to sell out to them let me know i will happily yeah, we will happily sell out look we'll i'm a struggling storyteller <laughs> uh Something I look as long as I can pay the bills, pay those, uh, pay that student debt. Uh, I'm here. I'm ready. Um, so Campbell, I have a. At this point, I speak. I I don't consider I, that I have segments really, but uh, at this point, I do. Uh, besides the end segment, that's always a segment. But I call this segment Twin Sons, and that that relates to a little story about a people far, far away in a far off galaxy. Uh, I don't know if you heard of it. Uh, there's this fellow that looks off at two sons and he knows he wants something bigger. Uh, and for me, that was very inspiring. That was, that's when I saw that, you know, I, I sound like every white guy that's ever watched a movie. Oh, I, I was inspired by the, that. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, what, what, when was it the moment? When was there the, the come to the Lord moment when you knew you were, were, you were a storyteller and you wanted to pursue that as a, and as an actual career? What was that point? The first time, because when I was in high school, I always wanted to make movies. Um, mm-hmm. There, I will not disclose the location of my YouTube channel or my old one, at least. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, there, there's old videos that I used to make in high school and uh, people would give me praise a lot and they would get a lot of laughs. I'm sure if I watched them again now, I'd be like, or if anyone watched them again now, they would be like, this, this is so cringe. Yeah. It sucks. Um I think that gave me a real big stroke of ego so that when I walked into films like the film major uh, in University of Arizona in Tucson, um, I was like, you know, I, I thought maybe I was like hot shit or just like talent <laughs> that was not yet recognized like that line from Squidward. Um, but um, yeah, no, my first project that I actually like directed, like ser- like seriously tried to direct was such a disaster and it was mm-hmm. so bad that it made me realize that maybe I'm just not cut for 
being on a set and telling people what to do because this is so much organization for my brain to handle. And Mm. truly I am not built to order people around. Like I, if I get the sense once that someone's feelings are hurt, I will in fact feel horrible. I I don't Mm. like confrontation. I don't like, you know, yelling at people. I hate that. Um, But on the other end, if you're kind of not doing that, sometimes as a director, at least from what it seems, um, if it's like a new crew and they're not getting paid, they don't know who you are. Hmm. If you're not telling them what to do, you're kind of just a pushover at that point. And what I did was so bad that like my crew literally had to sit me down and be like, Hey, we're just not going to do this anymore. (laughs) Uh, And that was such an eye opening moment for me uh, in such a just low humbled moment. That was like, because the reason why I was directing was because I won a script contest in this like film club we were okay. doing, um, which told me, I was like, you know, I've got some storyteller points and I really enjoy that aspect. Mm-hmm. The making of it, not so much. I, I hate, I hate being on set. I hate early call times. I hate, again, telling people what to do. It's just like, it's so much and probably just so much work that mm-hmm. I just cannot commit to it. Yeah. Um, even if it is something I love. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that that made me realize, like, maybe I want to pursue a, a direction in writing. And I gave that more of a shot, especially when I came to CCH. And I really found that I had a knack for it. Um, that's not to say I'm like the best ever. But, you know, I uh, I definitely uh, thought I was like better at it than I would have been like directing because yeah. I had to take another directing class in CCH and I botched that as well. So that was double confirmation for me that I am just not cut for this. <laughs> It's very, very interesting to hear you to hear you say that. Yeah. Mostly just because uh, you hurt my feelings and you yell at me all the time in D and D, but that's yeah. a different story. Yeah. Um, also, it's very funny up, when I say shut up, you guys are talking too much. It's not to you because you're quiet. <laughs> it's everyone else. It's also very interesting to me. You, you and Chris are very much like storytelling soulmates, but also yin and yang. That he is on a set every second that life exists on this planet. Yep. And you don't want anything to do with him. I, I find that fascinating. Maybe that's why you guys work. Chris um, is uh, someone who, I, I wouldn't call him a workaholic, but he works really, really, really hard, almost mm-hmm. to a fault, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in his mind, when he's doing that stuff, it's like, it's worth it because this is mm-hmm. what I want to do. Yeah. When I'm on set, I'm like, I hate this. This is not what I want to do. (laughs) (laughs) This is the bane of my existence. Yeah, I fucking, I went five, three different sets that I had been on. Mm -hmm. Every single time I was not assigned this position, I would always end up as a boom op every single time. And that's because the guy left or they didn't have one. I was Mm -hmm. on a set that was literally from nine to nine. And Chris brought me on it. I won't say the name of the set, um, but I think Chris knows what I'm talking about. I was oh. supposed to be the DI, <laughs> I was supposed to be the guy that just dumped the footage and yes. just sat there, and that's it. And then, lo and behold, this is the third time this has happened. The guy comes up to me, the director, and he's like, "Hey, you know how to boom op, right?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe like that." Like, oh, great! This is Raphael. He'll show you yeah. how it's done. I'm like, "Cool." <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I um. That was, uh, like I said, CCH is going to come up many times. Uh, sound, the, the, the bane of every non-sound person's uh, existence at that school was the, the dread when someone came up to you and started asking you 
hey, um, look, I got this role on my set I really need filled. And you're thinking, well, he's not going to ask me to direct. Probably not going to ask me to write. Um, probably not this late in the game going to ask me to act, although people did do that. Um, and so then I, I figured he's going to ask me to do sound. And almost every time I got asked to do sound, I either said, oh, well, this person knows how to do it or and that person did not. But they did it instead. Um, yes, many I spent many, uh, many of a Friday night or a Saturday. Um, not, not, I, I punted it enough. But yeah, I, uh, I yeah, that's having to be a boom op when you are a, a director or a writer. Uh, nothing against that position, but I was not put on this planet for that. Uh, yeah, and uh, those guys, props to them. If you're a boom op out there, uh, yeah. you work harder than I think 90% of the crew because yes. that is good lord, does that suck? That is like actually the worst position I've ever been in. Yes, and it's not even out of pity, it's out of genuine respect that I say that because that is yeah. good lord. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, anytime that came up in a class or anything, it was it was dread. I truly felt dread. Um, I would rather have any any other situation. Yeah, that's right. I could turn on a light. OK, I got it. It's getting dark in here. I'm sorry. I was listening. All dark. OK. Whoa, you like teleported back in. OK. So, Campbell, I was uh, looking. I was doing my research. OK. And uh, I saw there's something. Did you end up across the pond at some point in your life? I did. I was born in uh, London, England. Um, okay. Neighbors with our good friend Felix Mounds, who I haven't talked to in a while. Um, so okay, so you so you were born over there. Yeah. Then how how did you when did you I should say actually when did you end up in the states and was there any kind of uh was it super early on was it you know sort of midlife how what when was that. Uh, so my dad uh, worked in England, but he was American. So was my mom. Okay. But my mom was pregnant at the time. So I was just born there. Um, something happened. I don't know what spurred it. But basically, when I was like nine, or about to be nine, because uh, it was third grade when I moved to America. Um, after like around nine years, we moved to Eng uh, moved to Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, stayed there until like, I was about to hit like seventh grade. And then the yeah. financial crisis of 08 hit. My dad lost his job in America. So we had to move back to London to uh, so that he could work. So seventh and eighth grade were spent there. And then we moved back to Chicago so I could finish high school. Okay. Then I moved to Tucson. Then I moved here. Okay. So when you made that initial move and then obviously you went back and then back and forth and back and forth, were there any kind of, you know, culture shock? Was there anything or what did you find? Was there hard acclimating? Two one hard reacclimating when you move back. What was that journey like no, going back I'm, and forth? I'm sure like people have like billions of stories about this kind of like moving back and forth. Um, when I was a kid, I got so much attention. It was so awesome because like British kids are the meanest fucking kids I've <laughs> ever met in my fucking life. Those kids are so fucking mean. Like, take like I honestly, I don't know, like a physical I would take a physical bully in the United States in like a city. Okay. over like any kid in england like at any point in time because those guys are tattletales they are mean as hell they will mock you to the point where you are crying and then mock you for crying uh it is it is enough to drive you insane there's a story that i share with my friends all the time about me playing like football as a kid mm -hmm. and i 
uh, or sorry, soccer. Sorry. And, I was going to um, say. I was playing soccer as a kid, and there was a point where I had just switched out of goalie, and I was playing defense. And um, I just because I was so used to picking up the ball. Mind you, I'm like mm-hmm. fucking five. I, I'm so used to picking up the ball that I accidentally – I don't touch it. I nearly reach for the ball, which is illegal. Um, okay. And every fucking kid, even on my team, was screaming, handball, handball, handball. <laughs> and like, and it's like, uh, oh, my God. Like The kids afterwards were just like – I didn't know who the fuck these kids were. These were not classmates. I was just, my mom was trying to get me to socialize. And I was like, yeah, I'll play soccer. Okay. And it was, they were like, you're so stupid, Campbell. You're so fucking stupid. Like, and it's like with a joke with my friends, it's almost like PTSD from that. So yeah. moving to America and constantly apologizing for everything for just existing. And then like, <laughs> you know, everyone being like, why are you apologizing? And also, why does your accent sound funny? And it's like, you have a pretty cool accent. That was it. People in Chicago are so nice. Like, uh, okay. it was such a good move. I felt at home. Uh, then I found out that, like, you know, uh, white people shouldn't be here. And now <laughs> that then nothing really felt at home anymore. And then, like, you know, race topics got introduced. It was kind of that weird dichotomy of, like, because, you know, England is very they pride themselves on not being racist even though they are um but like they don't teach that at, at an early age like truly gotcha. as a kid i did not know what a black person was or like mm-hmm. an asian person was they were just other kids in the class and when i moved mm-hmm. here my mom like told me what a black person was and i was like what <laughs> what, are you, okay. what, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah. um and uh yeah no i it was it was shocking to me to see how much like i mean it it shouldn't be that shocking in hindsight but you know when you're a kid and you don't know anything about this stuff um race is really built into this country just given it's like horrible past um Mm -hmm. which isn't surprising at all again in hindsight but that was that was the biggest culture shock and then there was just other smaller things where it was like i would walk up to someone and i'd be like instead of popsicle when i was a kid they were called ice lollies um and i was like can i have an ice lolly and they were like i don't have any of those but do you want a popsicle and i was like what the fuck are you talking about what the hell is a popsicle do you still is there any slang from over there that you use or is it completely washed out it's basically washed out like my my accent disappeared um long time ago um i don't really know when but it kind of just faded out um Fun story about old Campbell, because um, mm-hmm. he, I like to think I was cringy up until 2020. Um, uh, I used to fake my accent a little bit, especially when I first <laughs> moved uh, to LA, because I wanted to seem more interesting. Um, Dude. There's no remnants of it there at this point in my defense, but like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a few people that called me out. Chris Hall, one of them. I'm sure he'll talk about it on the podcast. Um but yeah, no, I uh, I immediately got called out for that. And I was like, it's not that bad. And I was like, yeah, okay. it's pretty bad. Um, so eventually I just stopped because what the hell was the point? It worked in Tucson, but not mm. <laughs> not in L.A. Okay, so when you think – so having bounced around so much, when you think about the concept of of home, is it is it Chicago? What What is the – would you consider that that's your home? I would consider uh, – I would definitely consider Chicago my home. Um, okay. I – or at least the place where I feel at most home. Mm-hmm. Um, 
London, England, all that. It's just like, I don't know if it's the people. I don't know if it's something. I've just never felt like I really belonged there. And I don't mean that in a weird spiritual way. I just mean that mm-hmm. like uh, I'm just not really yeah. connecting. So what is it about uh, old 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 Chai Town? Uh, I think that's what they call it, Chai Town. Uh, the second city. I know that because of CM Punk. Uh, what is it about? What, what is it about that place that that you think was it a special place to you? I know that that that's a place I hear you know, uh, especially because I'm a professional wrestling fan, and that city is very connected to wrestling. Um, that that it, there is something special about that town and not just because of the pizza. Um, it, what, what, what do you think makes that place so special? I consider I maybe Chicagoans don't, I consider myself a Chicagoan and as a Chicagoan, I'm going to say, I fucking hate deep dish pizza. Controversial take. Um, wow. but, um, you heard it here first. Um, uh, God, sorry. It was really, the people were very nice. Um, nicest people I've ever met have been like in the Midwest. Mm-hmm revolving seasons is really nice because in London it's really just kind of gray all year round. Chicago's winters are horrible. Like they're really bad, but you know, at least like it was snow. Um, At least there was something there. The architecture, the way that the city was built, the way everything was built, I felt a connection to. It was just, I don't know. I I think it was the people more so. I, I connect with people more than I do the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, people there are fr- they're very friendly there. Um, okay. I don't mean I didn't, I never really met anyone in Chicago who was like actively like really mean to me. Okay. So when you tell Mom Pa that uh, uh, that you want to go to the far off, or I mean, first you went obviously you went to Arizona uh, as you said. Um, but when you told them that you wanted to pursue a career in film, was that to them was that a no brainer? Was that like a consider your options what was their response to that journey um my parents really didn't care honestly they were like uh i i hate to be so boring but it's like there's no i wish i had a story of like me beating the odds that they set for me or anything like that if anything they came true they were just like you know have a plan make sure you don't you know if you go out there to become an actor or writer you know, it's not going to go your way. You have to, you have to have a job. That's why most of these people are like baristas. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's like, you can't just like kind of put all your eggs in one basket like that. They supported my career fully. They really liked watching me have some kind of creative outlet. Um, my parents, I love them to death. They were always extremely supportive of me. Okay. So how did you end up landing at and what was your experience at U of A university of Arizona? How did, how did that come about? And what was it like entering there as a film student? Uh, as a school, it sucks just because they dump money directly into like, if you're in sports, maybe architecture and a few other things. Um, Mm -hmm. but aside from that, like any other medium, I'm not even talking about like film because I mean, like you can only film fund the film department so much. Um, I learned nothing in the film major. They really, truly do not really give a shit about any of the other majors. The dropout rate was like so high. Tucson is like, got so many problems. There's so many homeless people in such a small town. That shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Um, And it's like, I was told that it was like the Austin, Texas of Arizona. Definitely not. A lot of racist people there. A lot of, a lot of issues with it. I will say that getting a university experience, though, was like definitely fulfilling. I think 
would I do it again? No, I would go to a different university, but like mm -hmm. I, I do miss aspects of it. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, living in the dorms and everything, it's an experience everyone should have. And I get kind of sad when I talk to like Chris and them who have been mm -hmm. at CCH their entire run of college. Yeah. And never got to experience that because CCH was really kind of high school part two. And uh, it kind of sucks that that was never an experience for some people at CCH because going to frat parties, going to things like that is something that everyone should do, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, as a, uh... As one of those people that did not uh, experience that, uh, I ended up at Columbia College Hollywood in Campbell. I, I want to know, I, I I always love hearing how people ended up in the hallowed halls of formerly known as CCH, uh, FKA CCH, I'm going to start calling it. Uh, how, how does someone who went across the pond, ran around the second city, went to Arizona... <laughs> end up at cch i would love to know i yeah it's a great story um i wanted to get out of university of arizona and i was like you know maybe my grades have improved they they didn't my gpa plummeted um because i was high 24 7 at that school um and uh yeah no it was um I was like, maybe I could try for usc ucla something like that see if like lmu's taking people mm -hmm. um I didn't have a lot. I was like applying, applying. And I was just like looking at my GPA more and more. And it was like, my only options are either like going to CSUN or like just not going at all. Mm -hmm. And then I looked and I was like, what about film schools? I've, I haven't really tried for film school. Maybe I could work my way in. And uh, yeah, I, lo and behold, I found CCH on a website. It looks mm -hmm. great. I knew about Columbia college, Chicago, which was a place I almost went to first. Um, okay. And I knew that they were related in some capacity because Columbia College was in the name. So it was like, surely this is a great, well-funded, trustworthy school that isn't funneling money into strip clubs. Um, I, yeah, I, that's, <laughs> I was, I was hoping it would be not that unfortunate. And unfortunately that's the reality of what I got, but. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, Hey, I mean, you could have ended up at, at uh, Columbia College, uh, Chicago, uh, or or Flashpoint, uh, that you could have ended up there too. That would have probably had a little bit of a shorter experience. But uh, so, did you go to CCH? You started at with the screenwriting program, or did you start in any of the other programs, or was it screenwriting? No, I, I went right into screenwriting because I okay. was like, um, at that point, I was like, if they have that major, I'm going to take it. And I met okay. wonderful teachers such as uh, Rick Mitz or uh, Ben Streisenkrantzer or um, David Benullo, um, all teachers who taught me like really valuable things about storytelling. Um, I still occasionally will talk to Ben because he was like my main teacher. Uh, shout out Ben, uh, you bald fuck, you, you, <laughs> you taught me a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that, that was my experience. In the program wise, screenwriting was really great. Um, I know you have notes to get into, but this is, I feel a rant coming on. Kim, we'll go wherever you want. These okay, notes don't I appreciate matter. it. I Nothing appreciate matters. it. Cause I really want to talk about how none of the directors would listen to the fucking screenwriters when they brought us their fucking scripts. Um, yeah. Okay. I just want to interject and say that there was like a, Campbell was always, always going to come on and uh, we're going to have Chris Hall in the future. 
there was like a proto episode. This is episode 11. There was like a proto episode 11, like a week ago. We had a lot of downtime before our D&D session started. And you and Chris basically auditioned to be on this show uh, with you guys went off on a tangent. Let's try not to name names if, if we can. But the, uh, is, the great I, thing is, the wonderful thing is, I don't remember half of these people's names because I'm okay. like, I, I truly, I never walked with them in the hallway. They never came to us for help with their script. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, they were flabbergasted to find out that their film sucked. Like okay. they were like, I'm not saying the writers are going to make everything better. By mm -hmm. all means, we're also just random dudes who have never published anything. But for fuck's sake, do not ask your buddy to look at your fucking script and give it a pass. Like ask yeah. people who are studying this. Like it doesn't even have to be me. I don't care if it's me. Give it to Ben. Give it to the teacher. Give it to the people who are who have like worked in the industry. Yes. Like, and listen to them when they tell you this script is dog shit. Like that there is no conflict here. That there are no story beats. There is no emotion to it. Ah, <laughs> uh, I hate it. It's just like it's the same plot every time by the same white guy at the same fucking school, and every single one is either like one of several directions. It's either white guy is depressed uh, because his girlfriend broke up with him and now he hates all women. So he had to write in his dream woman into the script. And now that dream woman in his self insert is now his woman. And now mm -hmm. they're happily together. And there was no conflict. There was no antagonist. There was no stakes. The guy was depressed and that's it. Then there are other people who are like, guy is depressed. Depression is the antagonist. I hate that. That's not an antagonist. That's a mental struggle. That's part of a character. That's something you struggle with. <laughs> yes. What? What? <laughs> You're telling me that I have to have an antagonist for? Look, and I'll even say, uh, I am a, and and I think it's important to talk about this because this show, um, along as uh, along with something else I'm working on, is to provide a. A roadmap you don't have to take it but if you're if you're someone who's struggling to get into the industry if you're someone who is struggling to learn this this trade I'm, I'm trying to help in the way that like you can follow the roadmap or you cannot i think it's important to talk about how not not even the the sense of like staying in your lane but i, I and and you know maybe i'm i'm at fault for this as well because i i am a, a direct i haven't said I, well i'm a director writer as i said um but that's just because the screenwriting teachers at the school, uh, they always pushed me to keep writing. And and I, I'm a director by quote unquote trade. Um, so I obviously can also be talking out of my booty. But um, I think that there was a good amount of people that I just, just didn't want to. They 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 want to be everything. And, and and I'm someone who who's an advocate of trying to be every or try and be be as many things as you want to be. Um, but I think there comes a point where some people don't realize they don't, you don't have to be everything you, and I, and I think there's a lot of it that I think a lot of it stems from ego because they, they're, they're film students. So a lot of their favorite movies are from one guy who, uh, has made nine movies so far, uh, and, uh, he writes and directs all of them. And so they're like, well, I want to be the next Tarantino, uh, nothing wrong with that. You should want to be your own person, but. I think that they see like, oh, well, this person does it. If if I'm gonna make my legacy, I'm I'm gonna do do both. I you know I I don't come from that way. I'm inspired by those people, sure. But for me, it's about it's just for me about steering the story in a way. But but I agree with what you're saying that there there were so many people that just didn't 
they they just didn't want to reach out and they didn't want to um they just didn't want help and, and you can't help someone that doesn't want help i guess is what i'm trying to say some people i get it because it was like a passing grade like mm-hmm. people were like i'm gonna make a film and like the end of their script probably getting ripped to pieces they were probably like fuck it i don't even care about the script anymore let's yeah. just make it and i'll i'll take the i'll take it on the chin there were some people though that were like this is my passion project like i really poured my heart and soul into this <laughs> i'm so sick of it um yeah no i agree with what you're saying there are people who want to be everything but like the thing about quentin tarantino is it's like these people want to be everything but they don't even know how these directors got their start they don't know mm-hmm. that these people either like got to be where they were through sheer luck or like being a nepo baby or we're starting off in the industry is something else entirely mm-hmm. like quentin tarantino was a writer first yeah. before he was a director that's why when he writes something it's good because he knows how to write a fucking story um and it's like and even then debatably i would say in the modern paradigm a lot of people don't like quentin tarantino i think he's okay mm-hmm. but you know the use of the n-word a lot is definitely questionable and there's a lot yeah. of foot shots in it and i anytime anybody has ever criticized Quentin Tarantino, I have never once been the guy that is like, Oh, you're wrong about that. I'm usually been like, yeah, that's a valid criticism about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of, of other trades and other positions were obviously you went for screenwriting, but the way that the school was set up, obviously they made us do everything. Um, mm-hmm. So were, were there any other trades or positions that you picked besides boom op? Uh, were, were there any other ones that you picked up while you were there that you still kind of dabble in? Um, I think editing a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Emily would kill me for saying that because as she said to my face multiple times, you were not an editor. Um, and she's <laughs> right. Definitely. Now I'm definitely not. Um, because that, that was something I banded long, long ago. Um, I have to pick it up now cause we're mm-hmm. doing a D and D thing together. So when I get the, things that I need, I can finally start editing again. But mm-hmm. um, I really did my favorite part in high school of like making a film was like putting it together, kind of like little pieces. Um, naive Campbell, not realizing that so much goes into it besides just kind of cutting it and putting it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would say that kind of stuck with me. But for the most part, I kind of wanted to stick with writing. Um, okay. Just because I don't know if it was self confidence issues or not. But it was like, I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't after directing, I was like, I don't know if anything on set is gonna be my thing. Okay. So you you spoke, you know, you talked about the you know the the people that helped you further your writing. Uh, were there any other things, and they don't even have to necessarily relate to to film history or learning about equipment, or you know, it could just be even the interactions you had with people, but it was were there things at CCH that you picked up um, or learned that you think made you a better storyteller made you grow as a person and then therefore that has affected your art um i the people in my class definitely um okay. just kind of telling me how it is uh mm-hmm. i think it really sucks when you make something that you think is really really good and then you have one person in the class who you don't even fucking know this guy <laughs> you don't interact with at all just basically tell you like in a polite and constructive way that it sucks um and it's like obviously they don't mean that what they're saying is this could be good but you need to work on these aspects um i think learning how to take criticism in that regard really helped me and i still struggle with it today um i'm never going to be like i think even a lot of writing teachers told me that they also still struggle with this 
you're never ever in your life ever going to be cool with basically someone flat out telling you this really sucks. Um, but I remember there was like, uh, there was a time in class I was like really flustered after my ego had been kind of stroked for so long because people in class were like, yeah, this is pretty good. I would fix this, this, and this. There was one script I wrote that was like really genuinely like not good. Um, it was centered around like um, a, a family of Mexican people and I'm not Mexican. So okay. already off the bat, not great. Um, and I don't think at the time I had the, I don't know, intellectual capacity to really take apart that that was just not my place to write something like that. But even then they were judging it like as a script and as a script, it made no sense. Okay. It basically, they were trapped in this town in like rural South Texas or something like that. That was uh, basically kind of beset by kind of like white supremacist militia guys. And I was like, yeah, but this will be cool. Cause it will be like them fighting back. And it's still like, cool. But it's like, you know, I know nothing about these fucking things. And um, people were like, you're kind of making these weird Trumpy guys like cartoonish. And the, the leftist part of me still kind of wants to make them a little cartoonish, but after learning more and after kind of analyzing that, it was just, it was just not a good script. Um, and everyone in the class was like, kind of, they weren't calling me out, but they were making it clear that this wasn't a good script. And after years of being the guy on my high horse being like, oh, I'm at least I'm not this guy. Cause there was always one guy in the class that would just make a bad script. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm never, I'm never going to be this guy feeling like that guy for the first time really kind of opened me up a little bit. Um, I think most of my learning experiences through life have just been me having a high ego and then immediately getting humbled. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think those are valuable experiences, but I think it was that and definitely what my teachers taught me, which was like basically analyzing it beat by beat um, and how effective it is. Because okay. I used to also, as much as I yell about it, I used to also kind of want to make films that his depressed guy is depressed and is depressed with his depressed friends. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of not until I think maybe Ben or Rick basically pointed out like, why do I care about this? Um, that I kind of had to sit there and be like, well, but it's like passionate, but it's like, for me, it's like something that I relate to. And it's like, cool. Why do I care about what you relate to? What, what is it about your life specifically that is going to make me really want to indulge in this story where basically nothing is happening? Hmm. Um, analyzing that really helped me write a story because even when people ask me for criticism now, I get to be like, I'm not going to lie. It sort of seems like shit is just happening in this story. And I, I don't really, I'm not really invested. I'm, I'm not looking at this being like, oh my God, how does he find a new girlfriend after his previous one broke up with him? Like there is never really going to be a point where I care that much. Yeah. Um, and that dips into personal bias, but um, I mean, it's important to keep that in mind, but you also, there is a way to, objectively and analytically take apart a script and that's what i took with me because uh you got to remember like yes personal bias will always come into effect but for the most part uh they're asking you or making it clear to you that the story just doesn't work mm -hmm. okay so obviously you, you you saw it through you did the whole thing you you have done the full song and dance of film school is that is that something you recommend I, I, I 
this question keeps coming up in my mind and it's it is something that like uh like i mentioned earlier i'm working on another not just a guy related project um around this thing um but would you recommend film school to someone that is do a storyteller out there that is considering it no matter what age they are um do you think that it was a, a valuable experience? Do you think that it is something that if someone wants to tell stories in film, that it's something that, that's worthwhile? Um, if it was free, definitely. Um, <laughs> considering the like tuition it's worth. I'm going to be honest, like if you're on set, most of that you learn like being on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like the most helpful class we ever had from like a directing teacher was when he basically treated us like we were crew. And we were supposed to do it. And he was yelling at us the whole time. Um, shout out Charlie Rose for being probably one of the best teachers. <laughs> yeah, There's someone who's come up on the show. <laughs> I, I loved how Charlie Rose taught because he valued people who asked questions in his class and not people. He fully would call out the people that I didn't like, which were the people that were like, you know, oh, I directed, you know, I can do this. I know how no. a camera works. I looked up how a camera works. And he'd stand over them and he'd be like, what are you doing? No, that's not how it's done. What the fuck are you doing? That you would get fired for that. Like um, teaching us like set etiquette and things like that, like how it works. That was so much more valuable than any class at U of A taught me. Like any class that was telling me about Mace on scene, there's making me watch Battleship Potemkin for the fifth time. (laughs) Like it was... Like I, Battleship of Time is great, I, but I hate watching it again. I was the same with yes. I, I don't care. Um, the stair shot's great. It's referenced in like two movies. That's it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really just that. Um, mm. I forgot what the question was. I'm not going to lie Just to you. if you think it's worthwhile that someone go to film school. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're doing like, stuff that's like editing sound work or even writing and maybe even acting i think it's worth it but if you're just like trying to be a director or you're trying to be a producer or something like that you're trying to learn like business i don't think you need to go to film school i think um that's really reserved for like pre and post production Hmm. um because you're probably not going to find a pa job in like kind of a sound studio unless you're lucky yeah. Uh, so it's like good to have that experience and good to like fool around with that mm-hmm. rather than kind of like, you know, if you're a director, you're just going to learn all that on, on set. You, yeah. you would have to find out like a stand-up comedian finds out he's not funny. It's like, you got to get booed <laughs> off stage. Um, that's the best way to learn from what I've seen. I mean, I know Chris learned most of his gaffing technique from being on set and how to tell a bad director from a good one, uh, from what the stories he's told me. That's my opinion. You know, he keeps coming up uh, because he's a a friend of ours. uh, And he's a future guest for listeners, just so this isn't too insular. Uh, Chris Hall. Campbell, I I would love, you know, I I love all the the great duos of all time. Batman Robin, Abbott and Costello. Tell me how Camby met Chrissy. I want to, I would love to hear this story. You meant we, he comes up so much. So obviously he is a big part of your life. I would love to hear how the two of you met from your perspective. And then we'll I'm get sure his- I saw this like 21, 22 year old fucking loser walk up to him freshly 18 and like try to be friends with him. Um, but uh, when I met Chris, he had a full, like almost beaver haircut. Uh, and yes. he was wearing, he was unironically wearing the cat forward. 
he was dressed like a guy who watched a lot of Steven Universe um, <laughs> and acted like Scott Pilgrim because um, that was his favorite <laughs> movie. And he kind of made that his personality a little bit, I think, when I first met him. I think he immediately mm-hmm. kind of snapped out of that a little bit, but that was how I originally met him. We bonded through um, a shared friendship that we had with this one guy who I won't name on the podcast. Um, we unfortunately no longer talk to him, but um, we were good friends with him for a while. Uh, and yeah, we, we were both friends with him for a little bit. Chris and I, I don't want to say we didn't get along, mm. but there was kind of a weird thing where Chris where was like, when we were alone, we were fine. But when we were with this friend that we were both trying to be friends with, he would be really mean to me. Um, and I would, I've talked to him about this before we squashed this, but mm-hmm. then there was a point where the paradigm kind of shifted. And I noticed that the friend that we were trying to be friends with was now being mean to Chris. And mm-hmm. so because that paradigm shifted and because I'm really petty, I then kind of flipped that on him. And then I kind of turned into a dick. Mm-hmm. So there's a long time where we were like not butting heads, but like gotcha. we were yeah. friends. We were still like tension. Um, that's my analysis on it. Maybe Chris, I'm sure Chris has a completely different outlook on it. That is like much more sensical than what I'm saying. Um, I have a big mouth, so maybe I shouldn't even be saying any of this, but, um, yeah, uh, Chris and I have been friends kind of since then. Um, yeah, I met him at CCH like everyone else, but yeah, at the time we share a lot of weird memories because CCH was just such a weird experience. That it was like through that bonding that we really kind of uplifted. And also Evan Watkins was roommates with Chris and I was friends with Evan. So that was that kind of more trifecta. Yes, I met uh, Evan. Anytime I've interacted with Evan, it's always been a great time. He's a one of a kind human. He's uh, a great guy. guy. Great guy. Uh, okay. So. Let's get let's fast forward a little bit to now. So obviously you you graduate and I know uh, sifting through your LinkedIn and also talking to you, I know that you have you're working in talent coordination. So how did you get into that field? And can you walk us through what like a normal day to day looks like for a talent coordinator? Um, I truly don't know how I got lucky enough to land the current job that I'm at. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm breaching. I did sign an NDA, so I'm going to be careful with what I talk about. You'll talk around it however you need to. Um, but I, it's public knowledge. It's literally out there in public that I like host live streams and things like that. So people okay. know I'm with Streamly. Um, okay. and, uh, yeah, I literally just found it on LinkedIn. Uh, there, I okay. wish there was a more interesting story besides that, but I, I found it on LinkedIn. The funny story is I had no idea what the company really did at first. I came out of PR, mm-hmm. um, after working like red carpets and stuff. And I got brought on by this guy. And he turned out to be like a famous voice actor. And I did mm. not know for the longest time. And mm. I was like, wait, that's him. Oh, <laughs> and I think like maybe a week passed before I realized like, oh shit, we work with like people that I grew up with. That's yeah. actually insane. So since then um, I kind of help voice talent mainly and kind of other celebrities uh, like basically do autographs live and, I wish it was like more of impressive of a gig. Like I get to like actually hang out with them, but um, no, they're all really nice. They're all great okay. people. Um, I get, I've gotten to learn who's a dick and who's not in the industry. And that's great. I can't okay. say who is, yeah. who isn't, but um, yeah, um, that's my current job is uh, working with talent and it's a okay. really fulfilling job. I'm happy I'm here. 
And do you see yourself continuing on this path, you know, for the foreseeable future? Do you, is the writing kind of on the side now? How, what do you, how do you see yourself further navigating when it comes to your film career? Um, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's writing on the side. I think it's, um, doing what I can for right now to pay the bills and still kind of pumping out scripts. I mean, I'm making good connections finally here. So it's like, maybe something mm -hmm. will take off, but you know, I don't want to buy into a pipe dream too much. Okay. And then, you know, to kind of go uh, off on a tangent, you know, we were talking, you, you mentioned that you are working with voice actors, but that I know is sort of a, a type of performance that attracts you. I mean, uh, I, I can speak from personal experience. I, you are, you were the first non Garrett person cast in the audio drama that I I'm working on. Uh, and it was because, you know, seeing you light up when we were playing D and D and you would do voices, even, even going back to July of last year with, the previous campaign that we were in just seeing you, you morph into these characters and use these distinct voices. Um, I can tell it's something that is very, it's not something you're phoning in. It's something that is, it, it means a lot to you. So what it, is it that attracts you to that type of performance? Um, I learned to play D and D at university of Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, and I was truly blessed to have such a amazing DM named Keegan who introduced me and showed me the ropes and made the mistake of telling me that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, which okay. if you played D&D, &D, you know that is not the case. That is how DMs try to sell new players. Do not fall for it. You cannot do whatever you want. Because that is how you... I'm only saying that because that is how you end up as a shitty player. And I learned that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he introduced me to that and i was kind of like sitting there watching him do all these voices and at first i was like god this is going to be kind of cringe i'm going to watch my friend do these weird fucking zany voices in front of me and I'm, i have to try not to laugh um i don't know what it was the atmosphere the environment or just like my love of fantasy and like anime and shit like that mm -hmm. um that when i watched keegan do it i was fully taking it seriously i was immersed in the world i wanted to play i wanted to keep playing i was so disappointed when sessions would end I would like actually like upset when a session would end. Um, and uh, yeah, no, that made me eventually want to get into D&D more um, and do more voices. And I think I pulled from a lot of anime, I pulled from a lot of fantasy. I pulled from like epic speeches from like Lord of the Rings and things like that. Like these large scale worlds that were being built. And I really, really fell in love with like animation as a medium more. I think like after I played D&D, um because creating these worlds like in front of you is like so fucking sick yeah. um and then when i started to dm i was like i'm not gonna be any good at this uh i wasn't at first um and i'm still like struggling now but yeah it was like the first few were like an absolute disaster but i think the more i played the more i realized i wanted to be around people who like role played more who were like really getting into character more um and thankfully i found you guys eventually but um I think after that, me doing the voices, it kind of made me go like, made me appreciate it a little more because I, I realize now it's really hard to pull off a voice sometimes. Yeah. Um, you hear it in your head, but it's like, you know, I practice in the shower like I, I'm singing in it, but, you know, I, I, I hear myself in the recording sometimes and I'm like, God. Um, and maybe that's just me hating myself, but like, uh, yeah, people, um, I, I mean, I have yet to receive like actual compliments for my voices. So it hasn't given me that stroke of ego yet, but like, um, 
I think you complimented me and that helped me a lot. So um, you're but, welcome. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. But yeah, for the most part, it's like I, I cringe at myself a lot when I go back and watch D&D and I'm like, I didn't do that voice right. That is not at all what I wanted to do. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I I think that made me D&D really got me more into voice acting and like appreciating that more, especially when I learned who these people were like mm-hmm. uh, like the tsunami voice and shit like that. I was like, wow, these people are sick as hell. These are the coolest people I've ever fucking met in my life. And it's because these are all struggling actors that are very down to earth and know like know what it's kind of like to work. Unlike mm-hmm. some actors who have been kind of like handed this on a silver platter, these guys are working actors. These guys are out every fucking week trying to bust their ass for a role. Um, and I, I have nothing but respect for it now. Um, not that I didn't before, but like, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I'm very happy to hear that, especially, you know, uh, as as this audio drama comes together, there's there's no one else I'd rather have there uh, playing some very, very important roles. Uh, hopefully we can I can speaking uh, speaking to the listeners, watchers, uh, hopefully there'll be some I've been long talking about this audio drama. Hopefully uh, there can be some bigger updates on it uh, because yeah, it's, it's coming along and I'm, I'm very excited for it. So, Campbell, as we wind down. I, I finish every episode the same way. I ask my my guests not just any questions, the questions. So these can be you can your response can be as big or as little as you want. They're not necessarily rapid fire. Just some questions to send us home on. And yeah, if, however you want to answer them, feel free. Okay. Okay. So whether it be through student housing or your own free will, you have lived with fellow creatives. What are positives and negatives of living with fellow storytellers? It depends on the the person. Um, if someone's a director, they're usually pretty chill. They're just kind of in there smoking a bong and they're just kind of like hanging out. Um, mm-hmm. If it's like a writer, I've lived with Evan a little bit. It's cool because you're both okay. working on projects. If it's an actor not great because i've lived down the hall from musical theater students and i've lived down the hall from like other actors hearing them do their lines and hearing them bust into show tunes randomly make me want to scream and pull my hair out um and it's like you know acting as a medium is incredible but you know i if i got to hear the same monologue over and over again i'm i'm gonna my one of my veins is going to burst um but yeah yeah that's that's been that's been my experience with like living with creatives it's like for the most part, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're living with people that are pretty cool. I mean, occasionally you're going to run into someone who's like, you know, really into himself. But um, apart from that, yeah. Yes, I, I I had the full the full gauntlet. I had one person who flew home every single weekend. Uh, I had another person who uh, random people would just show up at my apartment. And I remember one night, uh, my my roommate I actually shared the room with was uh, he was working an all nighter, so I was by myself with our other roommate. And I I it was like ten o'clock, and I was like, I'm just gonna go to sleep because I really don't want to interact with this guy. Um, he was very he, he he was very nice, but sometimes he could just be a little annoying. Uh, and I closed my door, turn off the lights, and like I'm just gonna be on my phone or whatever. And then I see the light to the living room is on underneath the door, and then yeah, there there is like five six seven eight something like there's all these voices in my living room and i'm like is there like a part like what is happening why what is going on it's like 11 o'clock 
And I was like, I could go out there and say something. And I was like, I'm just going to go to bed. Uh, and so I didn't want to have to deal with that. So it, it, it can be, it could be the great, a great thing. It could be an awful thing. I feel like I know Next who you're question. talking about. Do, do I know who you're talking about? You know, it's one of those things where this was a person that went to school, but I don't know if people, there's, there's always those okay, people. That I, you, I was thinking of someone else then. Cause it was like, if this was who I thought it was, you would know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll talk off air. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how many people knew. Uh, I always felt like, my roommate and I lived with other people that like you would think we were crazy. Like, they, Oh, this person doesn't go here. And we're like, no, look, they're right here. And then they wouldn't be there. Like, I feel like we lived with like two of those kind of people. Um, okay. So next question we've, we've brought this up. You are a D and D DM. So my question is why are you such a nerd? You nerd, nerd ass nerd. I'm kidding. That's not the actual question. That's a great question. I can answer that. that. Um, If you want to, uh, that's not the actual question. Mental illness, baby. That's, that's where it comes from. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But the real question is you spoke about this kind of briefly when you're talking about the voice acting, but what is it that attracts you to that storytelling medium? Um, it used to be all the weed. (laughs) Truly it used to be all the weed. Um, like that was how I kind of got my sister introduced me to anime at a very, very young age. And I really mm-hmm. fell in love with animation. Then I grew up with a lot of cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, something about cartoons and like fantasy and stuff specifically really appeals to me because I, I like the art. I like the comparisons. I like the fluidity of it. I like mm-hmm. seeing a new world in front of me. I think live action is great. I'm not about to go off on like a Martin Scorsese tangent or something like that about like Marvel films or something. I think Marvel films can be great. I think a lot of them are fun, but I think live action is a constraint sometimes with the exception of like Lord of the Rings, which had, I guess, a budget of 50 fucking billion um, because they really made that world come alive. But even then that was through animation that they did that. Most of the time live action is not being constrained. You can't really make a set as big as that through practicals unfortunately um you can make like convincing like creatures convincing sets everything through practical work but through animation it's like if you want to make something fantastical you can't do it without it it's it's a it's an incredible medium and the people work really hard i mean everyone works hard but anime animators work really hard to get that across like thematically i mean that's like where the animation comes in but like the D D and the fantasy and everything like that I don't really know where that comes from because my dad and my mom were not into that stuff. In yeah. fact, they like kind of cringed when I told them I was into D and D. Um, Cause like from the era they were from, that was like, it's nowhere near as like popular the as devil. It is now. Not even that my parents are atheists. It was just like, was like you're hanging out with nerds. Like, the- <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if it's from me being like queer. I don't know if it's like me being, just like a writer uh mm. in quotes um it but like i i don't know where it comes from it's i i like magic i like dragons i like uh i like lasers i like fucking cool shit i i'm i like to see that i like a lot of it i like to put it on screen there's a lot of movies i like there's a lot of movies that i draw parallels from i'm inspired by a lot uh from like anime or even from like western animation even like fantasy, I I don't read books, <laughs> hard to believe. Um, so it's like, you know, I don't re- read like Wheel of Time or anything like that. But 
Yeah, I know. Um, I, animators inspired me the most. I'll say that okay. in short. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's very interesting for uh, assuming the audio drama goes well and we're able to continue with further stuff. There's there's one there's one in particular I I would probably I would like your help with. Uh, but that's a story for a different day. Um, you're a music guy, right? Like you like music stuff like that. Chris uh, is more of the music guy than I am, but yes, I do listen to music. I am not educated though. That's the problem is I will hear a song. Yeah. I will not know who it's by and everyone else will. Well, uh, my, my thing was just making sure you're a music guy. What happened to jumping around? Oh, wow. What happened? What? Why only? <laughs> what happened to jumping around? Why didn't it continue? I, I want to know how you found that out uh, of all the things. I thought you were bringing up like cooking with Campbell or something like that, or like no, my old YouTube. I'm, jumping around is where I wanted to go. I wanted to jump around to jump around. What? Why didn't you continue that? Talking about music. You know crazy is I music. forgot I was a radio host in high school for a while. Um, okay. Is, so jumping around was uh, our high school had a radio station and so did our college. I can't remember if I put, no, Soup Kitchen was later on. Jumping around mm. was. Um, a that was a that was a radio station me and my friend put on and i called it that because i just kind of wanted to play whatever um, mm -hmm. because people were doing like horror casts and like shit like that and i was like i don't know i hear a lot of music that sounds good i kind of want to just play music in a room for like an hour after school and i'll tell you that was the most meditative experience of my life being alone at the very top of the school where a radio mm -hmm. antenna was just blasting music you thought was good. I'm sure if I listened to it now, I'd be mm. like, what the fuck was I listening to? This is the worst, the most dog shit music I've ever heard. I would say uh, the the way I listen to it, I, I don't know if it's a right thing, um, but it, it for a second, I thought it was uh, scripted because <laughs> you mentioned these songs and then it's pure silence. For like 30 to 45 seconds. I'm assuming it's a rights thing. Uh, but it was the funniest thing. And I was like, oh, these are real songs. It was just funny because you would go, okay, this song. And then silence. And then, oh, man, that was great. Or something like that. <laughs> and just move on. It was it was a joy to, to listen to. It must be um, a rights thing. Um, maybe it was it, well, yeah. something. Was it a demo? Because I know we had to do like a demo for it or something like it, that. I believe it was was one of those, yes. It was very short. Yes, that's why we had to prove that our voices were radio worthy, basically. Um, okay. And I hope I did a good job. But uh, I, yeah. I enjoyed it, what I heard. Um, <laughs> the silence. <okay. laughs> yeah, sometimes silence is beautiful. Um, here's another one. Okay. This one might be kind of hard hitting. I don't know. Okay. I'm I've on seen me. your art quite often. Your little sketches, your little doodles, you put them in D and D. Is that something that is more of a hobby or is that something you see yourself maybe making a career out of? Um, hobby. Is definitely. I can't draw like anatomy. I, I can't mm -hmm. draw hands. I can't definitely cannot draw feet. Um, I get proportions on bodies wrong all the time and I've gone to figure drawing classes. I, for the life of me, cannot get it right. Even if I have a reference, it is so hard. I don't know what the fucking deal is. I can't establish a style. I can't establish a like full drawing medium. Now I kind of just do it to make stuff for D and D mm -hmm. and I hate to make people think that I've given up, but like truly I, I, unless I take like a full, like, illustration class that i just don't have time for 
I yeah, it's definitely a hobby. I I would love to make it more of a thing, but I, there, I've seen people so much better than me that it's just like not even motivating. Okay, so this is I I I figured you would say that, so I tacked a bonus question onto this. Okay, do you think it's important to keep some of your your art or your creative outlets for you, you know, being drawing, do you think it's important to keep some of those to yourself that maybe you don't, you know, monetize those, make a career out of those? Is it, do you think as a storyteller, as an artist, some of it needs to be just for you? That's a good question. I think, um, I don't know, honestly, I, that's really something that depends on the person. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, you should not monetize it if it is, like dear to you and you don't want to see it changed mm -hmm. um especially if it's a drawing because it's like if someone is like offering to pay for it and you'll you know you'll like never get it back then yeah you should probably keep it for yourself but um i don't know like in terms of my art if someone took a look at my shitty art and was like i'll pay you like 50 bucks for it i'll be like yeah take it uh like okay. <laughs> um I, I i like drawing it is something that i do like to do believe it or not but um it is uh it's taxing for me because it's like I, at the end of it, I'm just, I feel ashamed. I'm like, I feel like I'd be better than this and I'm not. Um, and it's like, you know, I drew once after taking a break for like a year and I'm like expecting to be fucking great again. And yeah. it's like, I don't know, things that I'm not immediately good at, I lose interest in. Okay. And this one is kind of tangentially uh, related. Actually, this is uh, an Emily question. She helped me with this one. I asked her uh, and it was, ba it was kind of based off of that last question is, as you said, when I, before, before we recorded this episode, I told you I was doing research. You, you were like, you're not going to find much, but I found jumping around. Um, you have little to no online footprint. And I found this when I was researching, you know, like I said, so a lot of this came for your LinkedIn. Um, but that got us thinking specifically her, and do you think it's important for an artist to keep some ambiguity? Ambiguity. Can't even talk. It was too mush mouth. Um, do you think it is? Do you like, you know, being, it all comes back to the beginning. Do you like being sort of an enigma so that people maybe don't have, and you you don't post every single day and you don't have all these different things, all these different outlets. Do you like having, you know, not people not being able to use what they know about Campbell Russell Troutman as a Rosetta stone for your work. Do you like having that separation between I am a normal human who doesn't need to post every single thing of my life. And I put out art into the world. I think if I ever, if I ever become recognized or famous, my answer will probably change. Um, <laughs> I think for the most part, I don't post a lot uh, more out of insecurity than I do like I don't know, some kind of statement. Um, I, I There's just, a, for me, I don't like wasting time. And I don't think social media is a waste of time. I think it's fun to update your friends. And my face lights up whenever I get a like on anything. I had a TikTok blow up and I was like so giddy about that for like, <laughs> I, I'm still getting likes from it. And even now I'm, I'm like patting myself on the shoulder yeah, for it. Adrenaline. Like it, it was like a stupid joke. Um, and uh yeah, I mean, I like social media. I, I don't want, I never want to be the guy that's like, it, social media is like a waste or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's fun to connect with your friends. It's fun to know that you get attention. I think there's no shame in uh, indulging in that from time to time. I think my footprint is bad because I've always sort of been like, I just don't think anyone's, I don't really have a lot going on that people are going to mm -hmm. care that much about. Um, 
I would rather just not post it all than get like 10 likes on something to confirm that theory. Um, and I think that is my psychology behind that. But my lack of digital footprint usually comes from me kind of like trying different things and like seeing how it goes. And if it's like, if it's not taking off, then it's like, ah, what's the point? Um, okay. And it, that's, that's more of a, <laughs> that's me kind of just exposing myself as uh, just someone who gives up a lot more so than like an enigma. Um, I like being a little mysterious though. I do. I do like people not knowing everything about me. Um, it is fun, but however, you know, when I get attention, I, I really do eat it up. I, I love getting attention. Okay. So Campbell, that concludes the questions, but we're not done here. Just, just yet. I'm uh, a little cheesed off. I'm not going to lie. Uh, in a recent session of our, it all comes back to D and D recent session. Um, you know, my my DM uh, he let he let someone pull some tarot cards and uh, <laughs> kind of screwed me. Um, and I'm not saying there's a conspiracy or anything. Yeah, but uh, you know, my dice don't work. My I get a bad tarot card. So you know what? Time to forget the DM. It's all about the GM. Okay, okay. So right now we're not gonna pull tarot cards. We're gonna pull. We're gonna pull, we're gonna pull Garo cards, okay? Pull <laughs> okay. Garo. Oh, let me let me let me pull it for you, okay? Because you know that makes sense uh, for uh, for someone else to pull a card that screws someone else's character over. Uh, I'm gonna. Oh, let me shuffle the deck. Oh, oh no, Campbell. Oh my, this one's real bad. Uh, let me pull up the the lore for it. Uh, you pulled the cuck. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the lore says uh, when Chris Hall comes on, uh, you have to sit in the corner and watch. Oh, no. Is this a punishment for me? Uh, <laughs> yes. That's what that this is legally binding. This is legally folks, this binding. is okay. and I not just a guy lore. That. <laughs> Campbell <laughs> Russell Troutman <laughs> has to be the third chair in the episode. If it comes out next, we'll see. I don't know when it will come out. It depends. Chris Hall's the busiest person on the planet. Uh, maybe on two plants. I don't know. Uh, but that is legally binding. The okay. first returning guest ever on Not Just a Guy will be Campbell Russell Troutman because he pulled the cuck. As you can see, it's a chair. Not because not I don't have anything else going on right now, but because I know you are the third chair. So <laughs> when Chris Hall's episode is on, you will be the third chair. You will sit there. You can talk, but you are you have pulled the cuck from the garrow deck look look at that beautiful oh man look at that so there we go folks the first this is history camel russell troutman can you put that can you put that back on screen real quick which uh the garrow card yeah the garrow card these professional <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what it is about it but something feels suggestive i i don't know are you saying something about the double g's looks like uh you know, I didn't think about what that looks like. Well, I don't think it, it does. Like... I think it might just be me, but I, I don't know. There's there's something suggestive, almost like not phallic, but like sphinctery about it. Like two numbers. I just don't know which ones. Maybe, maybe, maybe seven and ten or something like that. Uh, but yes, folks, this was another edition of Not Just a Guy. Campbell, is there anything you want to shout out or anything like a, a deal yeah, at your favorite sandwich cards. shop or I only got, anything I only like got that? one card? I want to pull more cards uh you can't why you didn't make more uh, what do you mean make i got these from an ancient burial ground i went into a cave of of i had a fight of, of thing and there was yes uh 
uh yeah that's all the time we have um yes uh maybe um, next uh, time maybe maybe i'll make some more for next time um not, i mean but there's a full deck here but uh but there's not suspiciously just one that was on top that will do it for this edition of not just a guy i've been your host not just a guy the guy garrett briones and i will talk at you next time later people This has been a Not Just A Guy production.